Hi, everyone, and welcome to the IPHO Student Podcast here at the University of North Texas Health Science Center. Join us as we discuss all things industry, from fellowships and industry careers to understanding what industry actually is. So stay tuned, and here we go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the UNTHSC IPHO Student Podcast. Uh, I'll be your host, Quentin Mananism, and today I have a very special guest from Vertex Pharmaceuticals, Dr. Bay, Dr. Don Bay, who is a Health Economics Outcomes Research Field Regional Director for Vertex Pharmaceuticals. So, how's it going, Dr. Bay? Going well. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Awesome. I'm super glad to have you. Um, and so, usually with these interviews, I like to start off a little uh, with a fun question. I know that you're a Kappa Psi alumni, Kappa Psi brother. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to uh, ask you some questions about your, or I guess just, can you tell us about your Kappa Psi experience? So, uh, yeah, I mean, Kappa Psi kind of ran our pharmacy school, to be honest with you. Like, it was the organization to be a part of. Um, and also, we were super active on campus, like, usually most like the APHA president was Kappa Psi, most PLS was Kappa Psi. We just kind of were in everybody's faces. So, um I, I I was I was happy to join. Um, my line name is Keonce, Um, being in Houston, um, <laughs> so uh, that was kind of funny. And also, like my first pharmacy school job in Houston, he also is a Kappa Psi brother as well from the same chapter from Delta Theta. So um, I had a lot of relations already with kind of people from the chapter, and uh, we just had a really really good time. I mean, U of H is literally across the street from us at TSU. So we actually did a lot of activities together and actually used to go to each other's sets and stuff. So we have a really close connectivity to them across the street as well. So, um, but yeah, after being in Kappa Psi and joining um, the, I would say the pressure got worse. Like basically like you were expected to be active. That's actually how I became a PHA president. And for us, we considered it kind of a legacy position. So we passed it down to kind of like different Kappa Psi brothers every single year. So that's how I actually became a PHA president, which for me and my career, be honest with you, years later, I found out like through interview process that people said that was pretty much the distinguishing factor for how I wound up getting a fellowship in pharma. So all in all, I kind of like, oh, every Everything going back to Kappa Psi and getting involved on campus. Oh, nice. That's good to hear that Kappa Psi helped you get a, a job. That's that's always a good thing <laughs> to hear. Um, I mean, that's good that you guys also uh, went to U of H and, you know, joined with their fraternity. Uh, I think we're kind of doing a similar thing here uh, with UNT and Texas Tech. Uh, actually, we mm-hmm. had a meeting, I think, yesterday, and we had, um, I think, their region or vice region join us at a pledge meeting. So, you know, I might... Yeah, ask you uh, some tips about, you know, how you guys can further uh, cooperate as a fraternity on two different campuses. So, Yeah, um, cool deal. Sure. All right. So kind of to get into the bread and butter of what we're here for. So I w- just want to know about your experiences and kind of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, well, that's kind of a loaded question. Um, yeah, so... Um, Yeah, I would consider myself a little untraditional, which hopefully is encouraging to people who um, still don't exactly know what they want to do. So in pharmacy school, I was mostly interested in HIV. Um, I worked at my the pharmacy I worked at was in like the Heights area of Houston, which that was close to like the HIV clinics. I volunteered at HIV clinics. So that was kind of my jam in pharmacy school. I had every intention of being an HIV clinical pharmacist until I did my ID rotation 
medication and I literally hate it. ID like ID is like all, you know, infectious diseases. And it's mostly, in my opinion, all about antibiotics, which are really annoying to me. So um, I didn't particularly like it too much. And um, but however, when I was at the HIV clinic was when I met my first MSL. Um, there was an MSL that used to come in and uh, do presentations um, on his um, antivirals for our clinic. And so um, in meeting with him, I met with him a few times because he used to be at the clinic all the time. And after meeting, he was like, you might want to look into MSL. I think it's something that you might be interested in. So that was kind of my first exposure to pharma and someone meeting somebody that worked in pharma and him kind of telling me about his career and things like that. So um, I, I would say I didn't do a rotation and stuff like, you know, nowadays it's way more competitive. I graduated in 2012 when it was competitive back then too, but I would say there were some programs here and there that, you know, you could, you could, it was just not as competitive as it now. It's insane now. Um, but I went to mid-year, not really knowing the process and everything like that. So anybody that's interested in pharma should know, hopefully that you need to do PPS and not just go to mid-year like you know i didn't even know that when i went to mid-year i went to mid-year just kind of you know just trying it out and so i only knew about the clinical pharmacy path and so i was like you know i've heard about pharma i think i'm interested in pharma i had met um a fellow that year who came to our school at tsu and did a presentation on careers in the pharmaceutical industry. And she was currently a fellow with the FAMU Bristol Myers Scribd program. And I literally bumped into her at mid-year and talked to her. And she really like told me all the tricks of the road, to be honest with you. Like she kind of honestly handheld me and told me everything that I needed to do and help introduce me to people and stuff like that. And to this day, she's one of my best friends. Um, and so, um, through that process is really why I wound up applying and got, I actually became her backfill um, for her fellowship program. So it's one of the reasons I'm really passionate about like trying to educate people on careers in pharma and also helping people as well, because I know that people helped me along my way when I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think uh, I've tried to emphasize mentors and mentorships uh, to our upcoming students. And I've just seen yeah. how it's helped me a lot. So um, so you mentioned that you actually don't like ID, which is crazy because I love yeah. ID. Um, <laughs> but, you can have it. <laughs> uh, but we will see. Maybe I'll have that same experience on my rotations. Hopefully not. No, I hope not. Right. If you think yeah. you like it, I hope that you enjoy it. I think our rotations are very eye opening. You know, you have an idea of what you think you want. Um, and I think rotations, a lot of people, it, they find passions that they might not have known or thought they knew something and they didn't. So I, I tell people going to rotations with kind of like an open mind. You just kind of never know what it is that you're going to land on that you really like or don't like. So um, it's definitely a, gr a great time. So um, try to use that. I think the hardest part of our, our rotations is it just comes so late when it comes to your process, right? Like yeah. you're literally in the middle of trying to figure out what you're doing postdoc and you're still discovering what it is that you're most interested in. I think that's the most frustrating part of it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, especially when it comes to like industry as well. There's not really many rotations that you can do in industry unless you do like an internship your second or third year. Uh, but other than that, it's it's definitely hard to get that industry experience. So, um, yeah. And I would say like, um, so I do, I, I, I know my path towards, but I don't advise my path for anybody else. Um, I really try to encourage people to try to get industry experience if you can. 
um, because it is a lot more competitive now. But majority of all companies have internship programs. Um, I will, I'll be candid with you. Like what I see from the internship program, however, the issue with it is there is a lot of nepotism, I think, in pharma. And this is my own personal opinion, just based off of how I've seen how people have been selected for internships. But this is where the power of networking comes in. So if you are, so I feel like I, for example, I came and taught a class, right? So everybody should have access to me. If you're applying for an internship program, it's very easy for you to ping me and say, hey, I applied for an internship program at Gilead. Do you know anybody there? Like, it's very simple. We do this in pharma literally every every day of connecting different people. It's a very small industry. If you think pharmacy is small, pharmacy industry is way smaller than that. So you have to learn to utilize your industry or just utilize your network. Um, Every person that you meet is a potential person to connect you to somebody else. And so I have started to see more people get internships because people will reach out to me and say, hey, oh, I'm applying for an internship at this company. Do you know someone there? And I can easily ping somebody and connect you. And then they can pull your application. Like literally people just pull applications. So you just have to understand the system in which corporate America works. And once you understand the system, you can understand how to work within it. Yeah, for sure. And that actually reminds me of that day you came and spoke for our organization and you talked about uh, how important networking was. And so um, I guess when it comes to networking, I, I know that it's about who you know, but I'm also wondering like, how does personality and fit kind of impact uh, you getting a position? Yeah, that's it's a good point. So networking is, I think it's the number one factor that you need in pharma, to be honest with you. I think it's number one. My One of my first mentors, like my first meeting with her, she was like, write three things down. And I was like, okay. She was like, one, network. I was like, okay, t- two, network. Okay, three, network. I was like, wow, literally? And she was like, no, literally, like that's that's like the golden ticket. So networking is extremely important. I think it's important for y'all as students who want to get into industry and then even throughout your career, networking is very important too. And then I know a lot of people also have interests in field-based roles like MSL, um, medical science liaison, other field positions. These are very network driven jobs. So that's like, we're the networkers of all networkers, right? So if you want to be in the field, so it's, it's extremely important. Um, what you asked about fit is a really good point too. Um, I've started to manage people in the field now. And now that I manage and interview people, I understand even more how much fit really matters, you know? So sometimes even when you're looking at candidates, it might not be the candidate that necessarily has the best experience or has the best CV. It might be someone that I feel like will get along better with our internal stakeholders or someone that I can make sure I can put in front of customers and will get along well with them. So there, there's a lot of factors that come into play, which is why I think sometimes landing roles and stuff can be very particular. Cause even when we interview for fellowships fit and all of those things fall into a matter as well. And sometimes it even depends on like who's on the team, right? So say you're mm-hmm. starting a new team, you have two roles. If I've selected one person, I kind of need like a yin and a yang to an extent, right? Like I want to diversify what's who's on the team. I want to, you know, difference of thought opinions, difference of background. So sometimes it's like, it's not necessarily that you're not qualified for roles, but there's a lot of other factors that go into play. And so I tell people this a lot because, you know, I think one of the questions you have proposed and a lot of the questions I get asked are people like, well, I'm in retail and I think I could be an MSL. And um, 
I definitely agree. I think that probably any a lot of pharmacists could walk straight from a retail pharmacy and be an MSL. Mm. However, it's, that's not what the process is. The process is who are you interviewing against? That's really what it comes down to. And if you're interviewing against someone who already has shown me that they know how to build relationships with customers, someone who already has shown me that they know how to work with matrix partners and setting meetings up, all of these other things, I'm going to lean more towards somebody who has already shown me that part, which might not be any advanced skill set clinically than, than another person, but those things are very important to the success of your role and your success in pharma. So that's kind of my opinion. Yeah, I think that was well said. I think timing matters too. I've always considered like, Definitely. you know, when you're applying for a position, um, you know, you could be the perfect fit, but it's like, well, we don't need you, your skills at the moment. Cause like the way our company is going, do you think that is a factor in, you know, when uh, students try to apply for fellowships and why, why they may not get that position? So fellowships a little different because timing, I don't think matters as much because the timing is the same every year, pretty much. So that one, I don't know if I would say timing and necessarily it, I think it might go back to what we were previously talking about of just like more fit and who we kind of need right now or what we want or what skill set we're kind of looking for outside of just a farm D. Um, I think one of the things that y'all that y'all will awaken to after you finish pharmacy school is that unfortunately having a farm D is just your base. Everybody has a farm D. I, I know that y'all are striving for the farm D and congratulations when you get it. But once you get it, you'll realize that like farm D's are a dime a dozen. I'm sorry. That is just the yeah. fact of the matter, which is why I emphasize so much on postdoctoral programs, you know, other degrees, things like that. It's, unfortunately, it's becoming a very, you know, competitive world. So a farm D just becomes your base and your personality, your ability to work well with other people, teamwork, be able to build relationships, able to get people on your side, able to be convincing, all of that. Those are key things that really start to make you stand out differently than just your farm D because every a lot of people have farm Ds. Um, so, yeah, when I would say timing, though, I will mention this. So for a lot of the people that want to be in the field, particularly maybe people who are from Texas, want to live in Texas, things like that. Timing is very particular when you're in the field. So, um, for example, I got back to Texas because a role opened up in Texas and I jumped immediately. Like it was just like I would have been waiting for another role to pop up in Texas. And when it happened, I actually wasn't ready to leave my current role. I enjoyed my role. I liked it a lot. But I really wound up leaving that role just because that opening happened in Texas. And when openings happen, sometimes they're not leaving. You'll find a lot of times, especially outside of the northeast region, the west states, a lot of people get in these roles and they be sitting pretty. They sit there and they'll be there 10 years, 15 years till retirement. And that role might not ever open up. So if you want to stay at the company and you see something happen, I always say that like a lot of MSL roles and field roles really are timing based um, because it's like when it happens, you better be ready to move. If not, another one might not pop up in that state for another few years, if not more. Yeah, that's well said. That's really good advice, too. Um, and that's kind of one thing that I like about industry is that ability to, you know, choose different positions so you can go from a mm -hmm. MSL to like a HEOR. And uh, so one, I think, I don't know, I, I won't call it the most interesting fact about you, but it, it's definitely up there. And that was your decision to go from like MSL to a different role, because usually like MSL yeah. is the cream of the crop. So could you kind of tell me about that experience and what was your um, decision making process during that time? 
Yeah. So that's a good point. So I, I will say in my career, I have had the honor of being able to move around a lot. Like I've, I think none of my roles have really been too much like the past role. And that doesn't always happen for everybody's career. I will say the first thing is it's company culture. Every culture is not, every company is not like that. Some companies are like, you're an MSL, you're an MSL for life type of thing. Um, I was at Bristol Myers Squibb and I think Bristol Myers Squibb has a culture of trying to cultivate talent that's within the company. They in order to get people to stay, they like to allow people to go to different roles. And so um, one of the ways I think you can find this out, maybe when you're talking to a company is ask them around, like, do they offer like rotations and other divisions? We call them tour duties where you can kind of go to a different organization and kind of try out that organization and then, you know, get some experience and be able to move over. BMS is very big on that. And so when you kind of have companies that operate like that, it gives you the opportunity to be able to kind of change things up. So, um, yeah. So from a field perspective, I've done three different type of roles. So I've done MSL. Then I've done what we call like health system liaison, which I think most people kind of call like payer MSL. And then now I do like more technical, like field HOR. And so I always get asked like everybody, like, which one do I like the best? And I think they all have pros and cons um, across the board. I think MSL, in my opinion, still to this day, is one of the best jobs you can ever have. Like I loved MSL role. MSL is a great role, especially if, I think particularly for pharmacists, it's an amazing role. It's a great ability to be able to use like your clinical skill set, um, travel a lot, meet different people, like just be exposed to different things. And so it's just it's a great role. I think it's great. Um now what MSL, MSL can be tiring, I will say. And a lot of things I have to keep in context for you guys that my MSL experience was pre-COVID and post-COVID MSL is not who pre-COVID MSL is. The job has changed completely now. Um, and it's just not the same as it was before. And I don't think it will ever go back to the way that it was pre-COVID. So the travel aspect of field is not nearly as intense as it used to be. But in my opinion, as someone who's done it for many years, I think this is for the better. A lot of us kind of get, I would say we, we get tired. Like, you know, you just kind of start to tap out and you start to just get exhausted of the travel over time. It sounds great when you're, you know, a few years out of school and like you're traveling across the world, you're eating on company dime, you get company car, all of these perks. It's great. But then sometimes you're going to be like, yo, I would like to be home. Like, you know, like I'm tired. Um, so um, I was starting to feel that way pre COVID. And I had even warned my manager that I was starting to feel that way. So um, anyways, so I would say that like people ask me why I left MSL because I do think MSL is a great job. So I think for me, Part of it was a little bit of the travel. I felt like I was traveling a lot. Um, I was expected to cover a lot of different accounts. And although I was able to use my clinical input, I think sometimes as you, how do I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this well. Um, I think once you start covering certain accounts and you start covering like more academic accounts and you start working with more clinical trials and things like that, it becomes a little bit more administrative than clinical. And this was just my experience. I'm not saying this is necessarily everybody's, mm -hmm. but for me, I was working on a very hot ticket drug um, in immuno-oncology. Everybody wanted to use it. We had so many clinical trials across the board. So I was demanding all of these clinical 
clinical trials and they actually started another team and that team did clinical education. So I wasn't really doing any clinical education anymore. I was pretty much managing clinical trials for the most part. And for me, I just felt like it was very administrative. I was traveling all around just to really make sure that people enrolling people on my clinical trial. And it just wasn't given the same thing that it was given before. I just wasn't filling in as much. Um, I think the other thing too, is that I was very young in my career when I became an MSL. I want to say I'd have been out of fellowship maybe two years, two or three years. So I'm barely like 20, I don't know, 27 or something like that. And I'm like, man, I'm about to be working for a really long time. And I'm not sure that MSL is what I want to do for the rest of my career. So Mm -hmm. I also was trying to see like what areas I wanted to go into because MSLs, as I said, PharmDs are becoming dime a dozen. Hate to tell y'all, but MSLs are starting to become a dime a dozen too. There's so many MSLs, a lot of people with MSL experience, and they're just kind of funneling around different companies. And I felt like I wanted wanted to do something different, but I wanted to stay in the field. And that's when I started looking at the payer side of things because we didn't have a lot of people working on that like payer side. Everybody wanted to be clinical because most PharmDs, most PhDs, MDs want to be on the clinical side. The payer side, I think it's a little, was a little less appealing to people, especially in oncology, because for the most part, all of our drugs get paid for. So it's kind of like, what are you over there talking about? But that world is changing. Um, Healthcare reform is here, cost reduction acts, inflation reduction act, there's a lot of stuff going on that are starting to impact the payer side of pharma and the payer side of how drugs get covered. And it's becoming much more of a hot topic area. And so I wanted to be somewhere where I felt like there was an area to grow in that there are gonna be a need in a niche And that's kind of why when the Texas position opened up for the health systems liaison team, I put a lot of effort, like a lot of effort. I could talk to you offline about how much work I put into trying to get that job. Like I put in a lot, like I went, I went a little, I was very aggressive, but I got the job. So (laughs) it worked. (laughs) That's good. So now I guess this is kind of relating to the future of your career do you imagine like other MSLs kind of following the same path you you follow now that they see like, you know, it's not what it used to be? Uh, you know, yeah. they might see, you know, they might say, hey, I know a friend, Dr. Bay, she's uh, she transitioned to the uh, payer side of things. We should all follow her. Do you think like, you know, more MSLs would kind of follow that role as well? Yeah, I get hit up all the time. People asking me this question of, of how I transitioned from MSL over to payer, because now a lot of people are kind of interested. And I will say the other group of people who have gotten savvy are the pharmacists that work in managed care. So that's who the new competition is now is the people that go the managed care route they work in pair for five, 10 years. And then they're just kind of like, I'm tapping out over here. I would like to do something different. And a lot of them start to come over to pharma and their experience and their intel is extremely valuable to us because if you're in the managed care area and you're responsible for formulary decision-making and you can bring that to pharma, you're gold, like literally gold. So they beat out most of us already in pharma for jobs. I'm not going to be, I'll be very honest with you. My, my, the team that I was on before that health system liaison team, majority of that team were pharmacists that came directly from payers. Um, so I was one of, I think I was the only person who had been in pharma even before that role. So that's, that's becoming our new competition in the payer type of role. And so it's one of the things I tell people too, that if you're interested in pharma, 
fellowship is not the only way to get there. Clinical pharmacists and managed care pharmacists can both get into pharma as well later in their careers because they can bring their experience over. But I do think that a lot of MSLs are doing that. What I will say the pandemic has opened up, though, is that if you're at a company that is more open to like hybrid or remote roles, MSLs have started to move into some in-house roles as well. And I think that's been a great value for a lot of MSLs to be able to still live where they want to live and work in pharma. A lot of times I will say they will require you to come into the office sometimes. So maybe you'll have to come in like a few days a month or something like that. But I mean, as long as someone doesn't ask you to move, that's really all you can ask for. If they ask you to come into the office, you know, say a, even a week, a month or something like that. I mean, the company is going to pay for it. I think that's still a pretty good opportunity. I definitely agree. Um, so this is kind of a personal question for me uh, because I know you transitioned to like H-E-O-R more. Um, and so I guess for me, I kind of view healthcare as money driven. Um, and so mm -hmm. I was kind of wondering, you know, um, what aspects of the job of H-E-O-R are, H -E -O -R are more rewarding for you? compared to the MSL. Yeah, so I think it's a good point. So I think it's the way that you look at it, right? So this is the way that I look at HOR. So for me, you have to understand the different players at the ball game, right? And really, you know that meme with like Spider-Man and everybody's pointing to each other? That's yeah. literally how we all acted about why drugs cost so much. Everybody else is gonna blame pharma. Some people are gonna blame the payer. Some people are gonna blame the PBM. Some people are going to blame the pharmacy. Like there's everybody is pointing their fingers at each other at whose fault it is. And to be honest with you, it's it, in my opinion, it's the fault of the system. The system is a broken system that is made in this country for people to work nine to fives, have insurance and for their insurance to, to cover a majority of the cost. When we charge our price for drugs, there are so many people that take pieces of that price before it even gets down to what is sold to the patient, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's so many places like group purchase organizations, PB, don't get me started on PBMs, like PBMs, that's the one that I think everybody, all of us in the circle can agree is probably the least valuable of all of us is the PBMs. And so um, that part. So I'd say from a farmer perspective, now I have been in pharma for 10 years, so I don't think that I'm brainwashed. But what I will say is I understand the business of healthcare way more than I did before. And so research and development is extremely expensive, y'all. Like if you know how many agents that we have to look at our target or potentially buy in order for one to be successful, you'll see that. And what some, a lot of times what we do, um, at least at BMS and at the new company Vertex is we will break down for people of our profit, where does our money go? How much of it goes to R&D? How much it goes towards manufacturing? How much of it goes towards salaries? Like, and when you see that context, you'll understand a little bit more of that side. Now, the reason why I feel like my job is still impactful for patients is because if I don't do my job and show that our drug is cost effective, then this brand new drug that is life saving to someone will not be available for patients. Right. So and pharma, I think the biggest thing for me is like where I get the most value out of is that I know I'm working on the drugs that are changing people's lives, that are extending lives. And for me, that's because those are also the drugs I work on. And that's something that you have to make a decision on when you're in pharma of what you wanna work on. The impact and value that I, in my opinion, that you get if you work on, 
Maybe I feel bad to say some of these things, but you know, like a narcotic or something like Purdue Pharma and you're selling, you know, Vicodin, Norco versus mm -hmm. you're working on a scene gel therapy that is going to cure sickle cell patients. Like these are two very different worlds that we're working on. And it's part of the reason majority of my career has been in oncology. So for me, like I've seen what these drugs can do for patients lives, how they can extend lives. However, if I don't go to the payer and have them understand the value of the drug and why it needs to be paid for, all of the patients who have that insurance plan are not going to get access to this medication, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the way I look at it when I feel like I'm going into payers is that I am fighting for this to get on formulary so that people can have access to it. Because if it's not, it's great for drugs to be invented and to be out here, but if people can't get access to it, then what good is it, right? So. Mm -hmm. That's that part. Then secondly, I think that all of our health disparities research falls under HUSRR as well. So we get the value of kind of being able to do both parts where obviously we have to work, we're all for profit, right? We have to work towards getting our drugs paid for. Um, and so that's going to be more of your cost effectiveness modeling, you know, um, anything that's more value based. But at the same time as well, uh, we fight for all patients to have access to drugs. And because of that, we do health disparities research and things like that to also identify gaps in po populations who are not being treated as appropriately. So for me, that's why I enjoy it. Um, I know I don't want to be just pigeonholed into doing health disparities research. I don't want to. I also want to understand the business side as well. And I think this is a good way to be able to do both. Nice. That actually cleared up a lot of understanding for me. Um, and I can definitely see that H-E-O-R fields are a lot more rewarding. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm biased or um, or I guess I would like to get your opinion on, you know, H-E-O-R versus like MSL. I know you travel and things like that, um, but it's like the patient kind of impact the more profound in H-E-O-R compared to like MSL roles. Yeah, so that's a good point. Um, I will say like like when I first crossed over from MSL to HOR, what I probably missed the most was like the clinical aspects. So like I was working with clinicians starting like small studies and things like that, you know, it's like when you have drugs that are FDA approved, that's great. But a lot of patients are not included in those indications, you know, and so a lot of times we had to do research outside of that to explore smaller po po populations that there might not be much of a ROI for. So, you know, like in oncology, we study big tumors, big, you know, the most prevalent of cancers. But there's a lot of people out there with a lot of like super rare cancers that never get explore because there's really just not an ROI form or they're just very difficult to treat. And a lot of times those tend to get tackled in like smaller studies. So like a pharma company will do what we call we sponsor like investigator sponsored research is what we call it. So pharma will pay, they will basically give investigators money to go explore in like other tumors and stuff like that. So I had a few of those ongoing when I was at MSL and I found those super rewarding to work on because you're working on populations that aren't included in the FDA indication, trying to see if drugs work in that area. And so that was probably what I struggled with the most when I came over to HOR is that I was like, dang, I really kind of missed that part. I missed that kind of clinical research part, but you just, you can't do everything at the same time. Um, because on the on the other end, like I do really like having the exposure to doing the health disparities research. Like that's something that's very dear to me and understanding how our drugs affect populations differently than other populations. Right. And I've seen a lot of really good outputs of that, like particularly I think like I think the gold standard is like in multiple myeloma. 
where there's been studies looking at sequencing of different drugs and we've been able they've been able to identify which sequence works better for black patients versus what is the recommendation per the nccn guidelines and once you publish that like and you share that with with physicians like that's changing the lives of black patients everywhere right like that's really important research i feel i find it kind of similar to like the ace inhibitors and like the calcium channel blockers and you know and blood pressure, like you know which one is best for black patients. And that doesn't exist very commonly in majority of disease states. So that's that's a really big deal of the, to kind of be able to work on. Mm-hmm. So I do, I think they both bring value. It's just kind of like what you want to do at the time. And then also, I think y'all have to realize that your career is very long. You can do multiple things. Like you can do MSL for a while. You can do something else. You can do multiple things. It's a long time to work. You probably don't want to do the same thing your whole career. So you could just, if, whatever you're interested in, it's not going to be the only thing that you're going to be interested in. Sounds good. I guess the trick is just to get into industry and then go from there pretty much. Yeah, I tell people, honestly, once your foot is in the door, I think the sky is the limit from their point on out. Then it's on you to network and meet the right people and make it happen. But um, the biggest, the hardest part of pharma is getting into pharma, in my opinion. Once you're in pharma, like you can maneuver, make things happen go to different companies, look for different jobs. Like it is what it is. So I hope the industry continues to thrive. I will say that we're, we're going through a little lull right now. Um, there recently was a rollout of like the inflation reduction act. And so this act, which I mean, a lot of us don't feel like it's incorrect that they, it was done, but basically this act says that you can't increase the cost of your drug year over year more than what the rate of inflation is. Um, however, a lot of pharma companies were doing that. They were increasing the cost of their drugs more than what inflation was without any additional indications or anything like that. So this stops a lot of that. And it really impacts a lot of like chronic drugs, you know. Um, and so when this happened, a lot of pharma companies went back and looked at their forecasting over the next couple of decades or so and realized that they're going to lose billions of dollars. And when that happened, they started letting go of a lot of people. So we've been seeing a lot of layoffs across pharma recently which I think to the point of which I mentioned earlier is that it's important in where you, in my opinion, is important where you work in pharma. Like it's important to know what areas are bringing the most value to the company um, as well as value to patients. Because when you're in those roles, you have less of a concern when layoffs and things are happening. Gotcha. So is that, I mean, you talked about how you mainly focus on oncology. Is that kind of why you, you know, stick with oncology just because like it's a, it's an illness that is, you know, constantly needing uh, to be attended to? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I guess technically I'm not in oncology anymore. When I went to Vertex, I kind of technically left oncology. But oncology is a great area to be in. That's where I worked for all of my career. And to your point, I think oncology is great. Oncology has a huge unmet need. So when you're thinking about what area you want to work in and you're thinking about working for the next 20 or 30 years, you want it to be in an area that is going to continue to have innovation and have a constant need. And oncology is one of those areas. I'll be honest, because I told you before that I was really interested in HIV, right? Mm-hmm. I would be up the creek in HIV now. Like there's hardly any research being done in HIV. HIV is pretty much a chronic disease as long as patients take their medications appropriately. So there's not a ton of research being done in HIV. Even BMS sold its entire HIV like research division 
Um, and they fired, well, they didn't fire, but they let go of all of their HIV MSLs. So, um, and part of that is because that area is just not an area that has a high unmet need anymore. Like the, the drugs that are there are very effective. Um, many of them have already lost their patents. So then you're going up against generics. Like, you know, you kind of have to keep those things in mind. So oncology, in my opinion, is a great area where there's a ton of investment being done in that area. And there's a huge unmet need. Um, the things that we in oncology that we applaud and think are outstanding are very small wins when you think about the whole schema thing. And I think I mentioned this in my lecture that, you know, I was working on immune oncology and our biggest thing was like lung cancer. And we like, I mean, we're talking the guy that invented the drug got a Nobel Peace Prize. And we're talking only one in five patients getting a response, not a cure, a response, because that's how detrimental non-small cell lung cancer has been. So there's still a lot of room for improvement in oncology. What we're applauding as like amazing success is still very low, but that's because in general, oncology is still a death sentence for most patients and majority of patients don't live a year after their diagnosis. So there's a lot of room there. Um, now I've moved. And so I said, if I ever left oncology, the area I would go would be rare diseases, which is where I'm at now. Um, so now I'm Vertex specializes in rare diseases. So the drug that we have marketed now is for cystic fibrosis. And the drug that I brought was brought on for is for sickle cell disease. So for me, that was a huge point for me of being able to work not just for patients, but for black patients. And then also um, we have a, a very high um, focus on health disparities research and things like that. So for me, this was like a win-win for me. Um, I was a little sad to leave oncology, but sickle cell actually does kind of operate like a hematologic malignancy kind of. So uh, there's a lot of synergies I see between um, like heme and sickle cell, but it's been, it's been a great experience being able to kind of work on sickle cell. So I tell people too that getting your foot into pharma is great, but then once you get in, you could be a little bit more picky about what you want to work on. I think it makes a big difference because the questions you're asking are questions that like like if you if you want to feel passionate about what you do you need to be working on something that you're passionate about kind of to wrap things up um i think you offered a lot of perspectives is there any last words that you would like to leave to listeners so i yeah i mean i have one preaching point for all pharmacy students um so the I still, I, I think I start my lecture off still with asking people like how many people are interested in like postdocs, how many people think they're going to retail and all this type of stuff. And I'm still shocked year over year by how many people think they're going into retail pharmacy um, because there's no jobs. Uh, that's, I just, I don't know why people think they're going into retail pharmacy because I'm like, I don't know where y'all expecting to work at. So I think that's my biggest preaching point is that, you know, times have changed. Our degree is a great degree as a foundation, um, but the degree alone doesn't hold a lot of weight. Uh, and that's just me and my experience and what I see from colleagues. I've been out of school for 10 years now, and I see a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of my classmates who didn't do postdocs, who didn't do residencies, are really suffering with their PharmD, even in retail settings, because there's such a shortage of jobs that even just going to the hospital is very difficult for people. And retail is really exhausting. Um, it's, you, it's, it's, it's a tough job to have full time and considering how long you want to work for and your return on investment of your degree, I just really advise everyone to just explore all the options that are out there and really consider doing something after pharmacy school. Um, I think you owe it to yourself and to your future to, to, to take an, 
just take a chance. Um, I hear a lot of people have a lot of pushback about um, not wanting to leave home, not wanting to leave Texas and all of this type of stuff as well. Um, I consider these investments in self, right? So if you could consider yourself as like a comparison to medical degree students, think of how much time and effort and postdocs and fellowships and residencies that they do. Like you can probably just do a one or two year fellowship or residency after your pharmacy degree and it will change the trajectory of your life you know so i just i i beg everybody to do that i just get so sad when i still hear this because i'm just like nobody wants to work in i mean i i feel you know please don't have people come for me don't have walgreens and cvs charging me up but like it's just it's i in my experience based off of being 10 years out of school i don't have anybody that i know that likes to work in retail not one person so um, the only person I would say maybe is a person who like is in um, like management, but most of them are trying to get out as well. So, you know, people who are like district managers or regional managers, I think they enjoy it a little bit more, but most of them are also looking for what their next move is going to be too. And I would say not just from a quality of life perspective, but also from the value of what your degree is. I think that one of the best parts of pharma is that pharma will show you that the foundation of having a PharmD and being able to acquire additional skill sets, it can be very profitable to them and they're willing to pay. That's probably my biggest bark about retail is that at least we used to say before that you got paid hazard pay and, you know, retail pharmacists were paid really well. When I hear how much retail is paying now, I'm like, wait, so not only are you running people through the ringer, you're also not paying well at the same time. Like that's just really upsetting. So it just, that's a double negative to me. And that's a big no, no. So I just uh, I advise people if there's anything that they take from my experience is just to try just put yourself out there, look for other opportunities, try to do some type of postdoc um, opportunity. And I'm, I guarantee that I don't, that you won't regret it. Be honest with you. I haven't heard anybody that's done a residency or, or a postdoc regret their experience and be like, Oh, I should have saved those two years. Like, no. And the whole scheme of things is it definitely will work in your favor. And also the last thing too, is don't just do a PGY one PGY ones are not valuable alone. They're only valuable in combination with a PGY two. I know a lot of PGY ones working at CVS. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of know some PGY ones that uh, just settled for like a regular hospital job. I guess they decided to. Yeah. Yeah. You need to, you got to specialize. So um, I think you just have to be a continuous learner in this life. Like you just have to learn that. I know it's hard to take that on being in pharmacy school because it is so hard. You don't want to hear about having to learn anymore after that. But I'd be honest, pharmacy school sets you up to learn how to study by yourself. And I've studied a lot since I've been out of pharmacy school. And I, I would say even as an MSL, when I was in launch, I probably studied more than, than I ever did in pharmacy school. But at least you're being paid for it, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. Um, wow, that was really good advice. I can only imagine that, I think after students hear this interview, um, it may be, it may get a little bit more competitive to get a postgrad position, but uh, nevertheless, <laughs> I think that's a good thing. But there's a lot there. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities in Texas for residency. Obviously we know there's no fellowships in Texas, but there's residencies all over the country. I know people who have moved. It's just, it is what it is guys. Like if you have to go outside of Texas, it is what it is. You'll defer your loans. 
you'll take your little $60,000 for a couple of years and you'll, you'll do better off later on. Um, I remember when I was doing that, I think in my class, I was the only person that did a fellowship. I want to say I was the only person that did a fellowship. Um, and I remember that like people were laughing at me. They were like, well, how much are you getting paid? And I was getting paid like, I wanted to say I was getting paid like 42. They're getting paid better than that now. But this, mind you, this was 2012, so inflation. So I was getting paid like $42,000. And people couldn't even wrap their minds around like the fact that I was willing to accept $42,000. And I think when you're at that point, you're just very short-sighted because y'all been in pharmacy school and you're just so ready to get out and get to the money. But like literally one, two years is nothing in the grand scheme of things, especially when you look at the offset of pay. Um, that it's just, it's really, it's not that big a deal. So yeah, that's, that's probably my biggest thing. And then also network y'all have got to network. If you're, especially if you're interested in pharma network, if you're interested in clinical residencies network too, like, um, introduce yourself to people on LinkedIn. I think one of the best things that's come out of the pandemic is we're all very comfortable with virtual meetings like super comfortable. So like asking people for a virtual one-on-one means nothing now. Like before I would kind of, people would have been like, wait, you want me to get on my computer and zoom? Like, but now we're all so comfortable with it that like, what's 30 minutes after I finish work to meet with somebody like, you know, like even this podcast, this is nothing. I finished work. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to dinner with a friend. Like I can do this in between stuff. So people can make the time to network and meet with you. Yeah. And thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy day. Uh, I know it's kind of a weekday, but uh, I truly appreciate it, and I'm pretty sure all of our students will appreciate it as well. Um, and so with that, it was an honor to interview Dr. Don Bay uh, from Vertex Pharmaceuticals, who is a Health Economics Outcomes Research Field Regional Director. So thank you very much, Dr. Bay. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And let me know if you're interested in other speakers. I'd be happy to connect other folks with you. Awesome. Well, that ends our podcast. Special thanks once again to our guest speaker. We hope you learned a lot and had a great time listening to our conversation. And if you aren't already a member, consider joining the industry pharmacy organization at UNTHSC. Thanks and stay tuned for our next podcast. <laughs>